G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. The Story One of the women said, Gladys, I don't want you to be like a stone, but I want you to be strong for Esther. So then Esther was actually sitting in the lounge at the time. And I said to her, it seems like we've been left alone. But I said, we will forgive. And she said, yes, mummy, we will. And so finally was told at 9.30 that they had died. I need you to be strong for Esther, but don't be like a stone. I understood what that meant. G'day, I'm Jimmy Colfax. Welcome to The Story. Well, a movie has been made about Australian missionary Graham Staines called The Least of These. Graham was tragically killed along with his two sons in 1999 while serving in India. Today, his wife Gladys will share about the making of that movie and about her life since the tragedy. Gladys is chatting with Rod Hopping from Heritage Films. Gladys, um, was it unusual for you when somebody first approached you to say, we'd like to tell the story about your family on film? Um, Well, yeah, it was. A few people over the years, even before I came home from India, you know, said that they wanted to make a film and I just, you know, sort of shrunk back a bit because um, it just, I got got tired of, tired of interviews, tired of media, tired of everything. Um, So when... Andrew Matthews approached me, I I thought about it and then because he came personally and sort of talked through it all with his wife and it was lovely, Mm. um, yeah, then I sort of, yeah, in principle agreed to to do it, yeah. So that was some years ago, Hugh? That was 2005, I think, because I had already moved to Townsville. I imagine um, a big part of the journey is finding people you could trust or felt that you could trust even though I guess relative strangers were approaching you. Well... I didn't actually have too much input into, or I didn't have to go searching people. Certainly, I, just through getting to know Andrew, I felt like I could trust him. Mm-hmm. I just had that, that sense, and I, I guess it was a bit of a stab in the dark in a sense. But part of the initial agreement was that they would consult with me, and he sent me drafts of the scripts, and I said, well, no, this is not right, or... The, relation, the part that related to our family or the work that we had been doing, I had a lot of input into that. So as they did that and then when it came to the actual final agreement, um, that took a little longer because I actually needed to work through legal channels to get that correct as far as myself and my family were concerned. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah, and for them also, of course, yeah. but yeah. Do you like movies yourself? Are you a movie person? Uh, I'm not a great movie person. Yeah. I was brought up that going to the cinema is sin. Yeah. Um, almost, not quite. But um, We forgive you if you have been. <laughs> <laughs> and But it was, um, yeah, we didn't have a TV. It just we, we just didn't have one. I don't think it was any religious reasons. Yeah. We just didn't have one. Uh-huh. And so, I mean, I've watched movies over the years, mm. but I prefer... I said certainly PG movies, um, but like real life stories and, yeah. Mm. I mean, I, w- I did go and watch Happy Feet and, you know. <laughs> right. That's good, <laughs> And it? those sort of things. Yeah, yeah, you can't help but smile, can you? Yeah, 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 yeah. 
And tell me, um, you've now watched and seen the least of these? I have seen it on the TV screen, yes. Yeah. yeah. So, and I've seen several drafts of it before that. So, okay. um, yeah. How do you feel the, the filmmakers went in telling your story on the screen? Um, well, as, as good as they could in, in the short time frame, in the sense that, you know, you can't tell. It's not the whole story. Yeah. It's only very much a part of what story that related to a very short period of time and really, yeah. you know, it's, it's certainly not, it's not, well, it's not purported to be a documentary. Yeah. And, um, yeah, so I, I think they did well in what they've done, yeah. So you feel, um, you feel like they've captured some of your life? You, you feel like they've been able to show the Staines family in India? Um, yeah, the, the small parts of it, yeah, right. yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, what's been done has been, um, yeah, it's, like, it's, it's done quite well. And, you know, when I watched the um, scenes with the children running around being children, you yeah. know, the two boys yeah. and, you know, running and jumping on Daddy's bed and, yeah. you know, that was, that was nice and just yeah. watching them. I mean, of course, it brings back memories of... Of the boys, my boys aren't there anymore, yep. but um, yep. or aren't with me anymore. Of course, they wouldn't have been boys anymore. They would have been young men. Young men. They would yeah. have been thirty and twenty-seven or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. thirty-one and twenty-seven. Yeah. And did they? The movie has them playing cricket. Did they used to like playing cricket? Uh, Graham taught them to play cricket. Yes. Yeah. And we we actually played cricket. Well, I mean, the compound, all the boys around played cricket, so uh, they played cricket. Yeah. But when we um, we used to go to another. 80 k's away, we'd go to another mission compound for like every month for four days and that was sort of like a bit of R&R but also we had a leprosy clinic over there, a church service and that was a time Graham could spend uninterrupted time with, with the family yeah. and so we always played cricket as a family so yeah, that okay. was, you know, lovely memories. To have, so to put the cricket part in was really lovely. Yeah, yeah. that's nice. Yeah. So that those were downtime moments? Do you recall yes, they those? Yes, they were downtime moments, yeah. definitely. Yeah. I mean, even even when the children played cricket of an afternoon, that's, you know, nothing much gets done at that time of the day. Yeah. Um, well, it can be done, but, you know, it's a time when people just sort of tend to relax a bit more at, yeah. toward the evening. So, yeah. Yeah. so that was four days every month? About four days every month. Yeah. We'd go over Saturday afternoon, come back Tuesday yeah. afternoon. So. so the rest of the time, um, it was pretty full and pretty busy for you uh, guys? Pretty well. I mean, Saturday wasn't so busy, but, I mean, there was a leprosy clinic at the hospital, uh, not the hospital, at the... Um, at the gate of the mission house, and then Graham would go out to the leprosy home. But Saturday, it sort of was... There was more time, but Sunday with, with church. But Graham always spent whatever time he could with the family also on Sunday. Yeah. And we let the staff have most of the day, you know, the day off actually. Yeah. And so yeah. we did sort of looked after ourselves. So, yeah. Yeah. And did you feel that the film adequately also covered the work that you were doing in the leprosy community and in terms of um, the, the, the connection, the hands-on, the regular cleaning of wounds and, and helping people out? Do you think it captured that side um, of things? Yeah, I... I didn't actually go out to the leprosy home all that much myself because I was um, my visa didn't permit me to do too much of that. But I, I certainly was, you know, did go out a little bit and was more of a supervisory role. But yeah. you know, if I needed to, I could do it. Yeah. I did it. Yeah. Um, Graham um, certainly would have done it much more than me because he he went out every every th well he was out there three days. But there was also the um, ex leprosy patients who were quite willing to, they were taught how to do dressings yeah. and actually would go away to the leprosy mission training thing for to teach them how to do dressings yeah. and they had no problem in touching someone else who 
had leprosy because they had been leprosy patients themselves. Right. So, yeah. so that made it that we, because other was a lot of people didn't want to come and help do that sort of thing yeah. Yeah. because of the stigma associated uh-huh. with it. But um, certainly, um, you know, we were involved in a probably a lesser role. It wasn't an everyday, mm. a lesser role in the actual on hands of the care of the wounds. But I mean, there's a lot of other things, and we, you know, medications and yeah, yeah, a lot of other things. Yeah. Now you have a medical background. Uh, uh, yes, just, I'm a registered nurse. Yeah. yeah. So just yeah. tell me, um, uh, what's well, give me a snapshot of life today. You live in Townsville in North Queensland. Yeah, I live in Townsville. I moved to Townsville when we came, um, when my daughter had finished. Esther, daughter Esther had finished school in Uttakaman in a boarding school, Hebron School in South India, mm-hmm. and so she'd completed all her as much schooling as she did. She did the A levels, the British A levels. So that was year mm-hmm. thirteen. Yeah. Um, she wanted to study university in Australia. Yeah. And she felt like she needed to connect with her roots. She was born and brought up in India, so it wasn't that she was coming back to Australia. She was coming to a country of her passport. I was coming back to Australia. She had visited but never actually lived for more than two or three, you know, like nine months maximum sort Uh of thing. Um, She wanted to do university here. I felt I wanted and needed to spend time with her, learning to adjust to a country she didn't know. Uh And unlike international students who usually have some difference, like an accent or a different colour skin or whatever, she would find it hard to be accepted as not not under, being understood because she didn't understand. Yeah. And um, so I chose to come home and spend the years of her university with her because I knew that, you know, the natural process of things is children get married yeah. and then that's, you know, you don't have that same connection. Yeah. So yeah. I'm really glad I did that, yeah. So when was that that you first came back to Australia? I came back to Australia in 2004. Yeah. And then I got my nursing registration back. I had to do four units of university to yeah. do that and that was hard because our training was apprentice-based, like in the hospitals. Yeah. And then, um, yeah, so for the last... Ten years, more than ten years, I've been working as a registered nurse in a hospital and doctor surgery, and mm-hmm. I really enjoy that. So, and a grandma? Uh, yes, my daughter got married nine years ago today. Oh, that's exciting! Yeah, <laughs> and um, God has blessed them and us, me, with four children, and you know, go to church with them together, and yeah. Nice. Um, yeah. So life is busy. Life is busy, yeah. but good. Yeah. So. You chose um, to stay in India for an, another five years after mm, you lost mm, Graham and mm, Philip and Timothy. Mm. Um, that's a decision. I'm not sure I could have done it, but you, you, you felt compelled to stay? Um, well, I felt compelled to stay, but more to the point, I didn't want to leave. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, you know, because I knew that it had become home. I'd, Graham and I had been married for 15 and a half years. Mm-hmm. I had by this stage lived in India for over 15 years because I met Graham in India. That's another whole story, which we won't go talk today. Um, But, yeah, God brought us together in India. So, you know, we only lived like across the mountain in Australia. So he he came from Bed Desert, I came from Ipswich. And so I I decided, you know, I I wanted to come home and see mum and dad, Mm -hmm. but I didn't want to leave the leprosy patients I didn't want to bring Esther at the age of 13 to Australia, a country she didn't know, mm. to a education system she didn't know, 
And 13-year-olds can be pretty... Yes, tough age. Tough age, yeah. yeah. Mm. She had a big support group. And she had stated to me before, even in that, those holidays, she said, Mum, I hope I'll be able to finish, complete my whole schooling at Hebron mm. School because she'd seen some of her friends go back to their countries before they completed their schooling. Yeah. And she just wanted to complete it, and I certainly stood by her in that. Mm. So when people said, oh, you should come back to Australia, mm. she can get as good an education, she can learn this, she can do that, I said, no, she needs to stay where she yeah. is. You're listening to The Story. Today we're hearing a conversation between Rod Hopping from Heritage Films and Gladys Staines. Gladys is the widow of Australian missionary Graham Staines, who was tragically killed in 1999 while serving in India. A movie about Graham's life has been made called The Least of These, The Graham Staines Story. We'll have more of this conversation when we return. If this program has highlighted something you'd like prayer for, we'd love to pray for you. Call 1-800-PRAY-FOR-ME. That's 1-800-772-936. It's a free call. Or text 0401 132 888. Hi, I'm Jimmy Colfax and this is The Story. Today we're hearing a conversation between Rod Hopping from Heritage Films and Gladys Staines, who was the widow of Australian missionary Graham Staines, who was tragically killed in 1999 while serving in India. A movie about Graham's life has been made called The Least of These, The Graham Staines Story. Next, we'll hear more about the making of the film and about Gladys's life since the tragedy. In the movie, we watched that scene where the character playing Gladys is waiting for some news mm. and she finally finds out that she's lost her husband and sons, mm. which is such a tragic moment. Mm. What we see in the movie is fairly soon after that, um, that the character playing you mm. says, we, I, I choose to forgive. Mm. Is, is that... Close to what happened? Mm, it is. Um, close to what happened. Yeah. Um, it, yes, it was from the time I was first told the jeeps had been burned at 4.30 in the morning. I couldn't get adequate news as to what really happened because everyone was not wanting to tell me because normally it is the role of a close family member to tell a grieving person, a mm-hmm. person who will be grieving, that yeah you know, their family have been killed. That's just cultural. That's cultural, yes. And so the district administrator, who we knew well and very supportive, had sent Dr Das and his family, who were members of the Rotary Club. Graham was a Rotarian. Mm -hmm. I was also involved in the women's section of the Rotary Club, so a very good support group in the community, and they knew us. And so they were sent to tell us, and though they came and they were shaking like crazy... Mm. they wouldn't tell. Finally, one of the women said, Gladys, I don't want you to be like a stone, but I want you to be strong for Esther. So then Esther, I went in, Esther was actually sitting in the lounge at the time. And I said to her, it seems like we've been left alone. But I said, we, we will forgive. And she said, yes, mummy, we will. Wow. And so that, that happened. I mean, I finally got the, finally was told at 9.30 that they had died. You know, like, I need you to be strong for Esther, but don't be like a stone. Mm. I understood what that meant. So, um, yeah, so it was actually about five hours from the time I knew the jeeps had burned. And so in that time, God, for one hour, I amazingly went back to bed and slept, but that was God. Mm. And I guess I didn't want to believe that, you know, anything could have happened to them. That was just the jeeps Mm. had burned, other things had happened other times. So, Mm. um, yeah. And 
so yeah, and I didn't didn't go out and proclaim so much that at that time that I've, I mean I wasn't in front of people when I said mm. that, but then the media, the newspaper, the journalists came and said, "Well, are you angry?" And I said, "Well, I'm not angry, but I'm sad, mm. but I've forgiven." And then they asked, "Well, how could you forgive?" And I said, "Well, Jesus taught us to forgive, and." When Jesus hung on the cross, he said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Well, though I'm not Jesus, but he has forgiven me from my sins and he has taught us to forgive. And I had also known from a little magazine paper I had read a number of years before about the church in China growing despite persecution. Mm, mm. And one of the statements on a one a prayer thing that we were getting was, why has the church grown? And the statement said, because the Christians have forgiven. And that made very big impact on me. That like had been probably 15 years before that. Well, wow. Yeah. So when persecution was starting to happen in India, I remember about 10 days before Graham died and my family were killed, I, there was persecution happening closer in the state where mm-hmm. we lived. Not, not real close, but 500 k's is still the same state. Absolutely. And I made this statement to our staff members. I said, but the Christians need to forgive. <laughs> and that impact, that statement, you know, you say things sometimes mm-hmm. and it hits you like a brick. Mm-hmm. And I went inside and I said to Graham, I said, oh, you know, with everything that's happening, Christians need to forgive, having absolutely no idea that this might happen to Mm. our family, I guess, Mm. because there'd been a lot over in Western India in the state of Gujarat, and Mm. I guess I thought we were a bit immune to it or something, but, um, yeah. So certainly, uh, you know, I could see things leading up to, to the way I forgave, but it was God who gave me that strength and... Mm. You know, and in the Bible it says that if you confess with your mouth, and I realised that confessing that I, you know, openly that I had forgiven, it also, you know, really started a healing process. Not yeah. that you forget or, or that I was totally healed yeah. from grief or anything no. like that, but it just meant that it wasn't that bitterness. And the Bible, we're also told in Romans twelve nineteen that vengeance is mine, says the Lord, I will repay Mm-hmm. And, you know, so not to take revenge, basically. Yeah, do not take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath. Mm-hmm. And I thought, okay, Lord, I remembered that verse and I and I said, um, Lord, it's in your hands. I don't, which meant that I didn't have to worry about, look at everything, what the judgments were, what this was, what that was. Yeah. yeah. I, I find that quite, your story quite profound, as I think most people do. And I think usually the profound stories are the ones that, do end up on film because there's a profound nature to it. And I think at the core of that is your decision to forgive. You've just explained that it wasn't instant. It took maybe five hours. Well, it's because I didn't know the detail. No, yeah. yeah. But, I mean, yes, it did give me that. But for some of us over trivial things, Mm. uh, it can take years and therapy and practising to forgive and false starts and things like that. Mm. Um, I'm just amazed and I think, you know, I think we all are, that your foundation from the, the very early part was to forgive. Mm. Is forgiveness for you in particular around losing your family, is, did you have to revisit that? Do you find that it's something you've got, got to continue to do? I'm just fascinated to know. Um, you mean forgive those who killed the family yeah. or just general forgiveness? Well, they, I guess they are two different things, but they're, they're interconnected. Mm. But um, I imagine and disappointment too, maybe disappointment in, in God perhaps. Is that a, something that you have to come to terms with as well? I can't say that I've ever actually felt disappointed in God. Mm. Um, I used to say to people I wasn't angry, but a couple of years ago I was finding life not easy. Mm. And, um, 
you know, at one time I said, well, why did the family have to die, you know, like that? Mm. I didn't say it to anyone in particular, but, you know, um, because I miss them so much, yeah. you know. My daughter's married now and that's great and I live not far from her. Yeah. Um, wouldn't have it any other way, but, you yeah. know. And, um, yeah, so it's not so much revisiting the forgiveness I gave at that point. Mm-hmm. Um, it's working through the the fact that I don't have my family there. Mm. With me, I mean, um, and when, you know, the grandchildren are born, the Reuben's family are there, my fam, my, you know, the kids' uncles aren't, but, but they do talk about them. But, you know, it's sometimes harder to forgive in the little things than the big things, uh-huh. and so it's a constant. I believe that forgiveness is something we have to constantly work on. Yeah. It may be a different situation, but, or it may even be something that, happened and we, we thought we'd forgiven and then go back. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I, I, it's a process and I wouldn't say that, um, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm super person or anything because I forgave back mm-hmm. there, but God enabled me to forgive. Mm-hmm. But it doesn't take away the sadness and the grief mm-hmm. that's there. And it's not a matter of moving on, it's moving forward. Yeah. It's not a matter of saying time heals. Time of itself can't heal, but God mm-hmm. works through situations to, yeah. to bring joy out of sorrow mm-hmm. too. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so and we do get a glimpse in the movie of a broken moment, mm. devastation, and I guess um, there is that scripture of, you know, he has a bottle to collect our tears, mm. and I've always thought what a beautiful intimate picture mm. to collect someone's mm. tears, mm. Yes. and to do that you have to be present. If I was going to catch your tears, I'd have to be with you while you're yes, crying. That's right. yeah. So there is this picture of God with us in our brokenness. Mm-hmm. Has it been your sense from the moment you lost your family to? I'm sure you probably still cry. Um, I do at times. Yeah. Yeah, do you feel yeah. the closeness of God in those moments? Is there something that has gone on where you f- has felt his presence in, in that brokenness? Um, I guess I have. I haven't really labelled it as such. Yep. But yeah. Mm. yeah, but I mean, people have said to me, well, why didn't you, how come you didn't turn away from God? And I, I can't understand that question because... Mm. Why would you turn away? Where else do you turn to? Uh, I guess uh, the fact I know that I'm going to meet them again mm. and they had their you know, personal relationship with Christ and, mm. yeah, I knew them again. But, um, yeah, but where else do you go <laughs> yeah. without Christ? Absolutely. Mm. Um, we saw them singing when the rollers caught up yonder. Mm. Was there any truth in that song as part of your yes, family? Yes. Yeah. My son, Philip, um, loved that song. Really? Yeah. yeah when the, and, and on the graves, we actually have, it's a joint grave, and so we've got Graham in the middle with I've a Bible a open. picture of it, yeah. yeah. And on the right-hand side is Philip with, he's, a tr- he's an angel with a trumpet, and that's mm. significant of the role is called up yonder, mm-hmm. as you look at them. And mm. then on the left-hand side, there's an angel with a rose because... Timothy loved roses and mm. he used to hold a rose and sing this little song he'd make up and say, so when we all get to heaven, we'll all be given a rose. So, nice. Yeah. A beautiful way to yeah. mark that. So the role is called up yonder is significant. Yeah. Yes, yeah. 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 Mm. The, um, the, the overriding story, which was a device that was created to tell your story of mm. the journalist mm. who was trying to, I guess, get the scoop and prove that um, you guys were all about converting people. Mm. Which was illegal. Mm. Um, thing, it was illegal with inducement. Inducement. Not. Mm. It's not illegal to convert yeah. unless they made an anti-conversion law. But um, it was the constitution said you could preach, practice, and propagate 
but it's illegal with the inducement. Or, yeah, like yeah, yeah, yeah. So I think the I cry every time I see this on the, the film, and it's it's towards the end, and it I guess it's um, talking about um, the life that particularly Graham. But when I when I hear Graham, I hear you as well because you're there together. But um, ironically, that they couldn't that in the story find proof of this inducement. Yeah. Um, because you guys were busy loving people uh, and mm. caring for people mm. and caring for their practical day-to-day needs. And I think personally that just screams of the gospel mm. of Jesus Christ. Mm. Mm. Um, the big message is it, it, was, it, it was hope, hope yes. for the hopeless. Yes. Um, and it seemed to me that that was portrayed powerfully in the film, mm. that the legacy, if you like, for your family, for Graham and Philip and Timothy mm. and yourself and Esther, is that there are a lot of people that received hope and I'm guessing that that came every day as they were cared for and looked after by people who, who hadn't cast them aside when their families yeah, had. Yeah. Um, and I, I believe that there's a death ceremony that takes place. Yes, yeah, so I don't know if it still does, but certainly in the past it has, yeah. yeah. And so someone with leprosy, in a sense, is considered dead mm. by their own families. Mm. The government has certainly worked hard to educate, eradicate the stigma of leprosy and prevent yeah. those things. But sometimes it's, I don't know if the death ceremony happens, but still, um, probably, possibly in some places, I don't know. Mm. But it's not just the legacy, it's not just the the hope that the leprosy patients find in being cared for, but the biggest legacy for Graham is the fact that through, um, I mean, he, he taught about Christ, he shared about Christ. Through their deaths, in a sense, I have heard of many, many, many people who've said, well, if that, their God is real, I'm going to, I want to be Christian. Yeah. And so that, you know, who, how many people will see in heaven because of directly related to those events? We will never know. Yeah. And I just praise God for that. When you yeah. think about that, that's word of mouth or relational yes. people talking. Yeah. What do you think is possible or what do you hope maybe is possible? Now, there's a movie that mm. portrays that, I think, very, very well. Mm. And as we know with a movie... Anybody can see it. It can go anywhere in the mm, world. Mm. You're working on multiple languages. Mm-hmm. Would you find a, a hope within you as far as this, a similar outcome of what you're already hearing that I uh, see the glint in your eye when you talk about people coming to faith? Mm, mm. Is it a similar thing you, you would uh, probably hope for this film? Yeah. yeah. Certainly that it will point people to the real truth. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. It's in, found in Christ. Uh, yeah. yeah. Gladys, thank you so much for okay. joining with me today and for your time. Thank it's you. Lovely. Lord. Thank you. Thank you. That was Rod Hopping from Heritage Films and Gladys Staines chatting about the movie that was made about her husband's life called The Least of These, The Graham Staines Story. And as we heard, the movie is very much about her life journey as well, including the remarkable way she was able to forgive the people who killed her husband. As she said, she was only able to do this with the help of the Lord who gave her the strength. She also mentioned the Bible verse in Romans that says, Do not take revenge, my friends. But leave room for God's wrath, for the Lord says, It is mine to avenge, I will repay. By standing on this verse, she was able to hand everything over to the Lord, knowing that He would take care of everything. So she didn't have to worry about anything or didn't have to carry around any bitterness. A tremendous example for us all. Well, if you'd like to find out more about the film, you can go to the website, theleastofthesemovie.com.au. That's the least of these movie. .com.au
Finally, we want to say a special thanks to the Australian Christian Channel for providing the audio for today's interview. Also, thank you for joining us for Gladys Stain's story. I'm Jimmy Colfax, encouraging you to share your story with someone today. Next time on The Story. It was one evening at work, I got a phone call. The receptionist called me and she said, I have your doctor on the phone. And I thought, oh my gosh, your doctor never rings you at work. What on earth? (laughs) So, of course, my tummy was churning. Anyway, so she puts him through to me and he says, I need to see you. I need to see you urgently. Any chance you can come in today after work? So, of course, for the rest of the day, I'm just in turmoil because what is the problem? Nalini Tranquim grew up with visions of becoming a concert pianist and went to London to fulfil her dream. However, that's when she received some surprising news that put her promising future in doubt. Nalini will share her story next time. The story. Just another way vision is connecting faith to life. 